out, it took me back. Uh, like, it, uh, it surprised me the first time I walked into a Bible church like ours, and I saw from the front of the stage people praying, and what shocked me was that people were praying to God without it already having been written down first. How many of you guys grew up in churches that the prayers were all written down first? Any of you guys? Not many, some of you, some of you guys. And, and I, I grew up, as you know, I grew up uh, very nominally Catholic. And uh, so the times that I did go to church, uh, I was used to, in fact, I only thought that people could pray to the Lord out of a pre-written book. Uh, even when I went to visit my grandparents, uh, they would say grace. My family didn't say grace before the meal, but when I went to visit my grandparents, they would say grace before the meal, but they would always say the same things. Thank you, God, for these nine gifts which we are about to receive, and I forget the rest of it. Um, but it was a, a pre-written kind of prefab prayer, and uh, that was my only experience. Now, obviously, I prayed myself sometimes, um, mostly out of desperation. I had a few near-death experiences in junior high school, which I'd love to tell you about sometime, but now's not the time. But time where, you know, I thought I was going to die, and so I called out to God in the sense of, you know, God, if you save me from this, I'll be better, and I'll go to church, and I'll, you know, those desperation prayers, which never really amounted to anything, or maybe they did, because I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's weird. I never thought about that until right now. Um, but yeah, the first time I had came into a uh, evangelical Bible preaching church like this, I was I was shocked. I was like, "Who are these people, who freely, without having it written down for them, who are these people who freely talk to God?" That's kind of weird. Um, how do they know what to say, right? Like, and uh, it intrigued me a bit. I stuck around and. Um, and I, through my, the testimony, the witness of my friends, I, I became a Christian. Became one of those people. And, uh, and, and went to that church, and it was awesome. Like, in a, and I'll share with you, becoming a Christian is, is pretty cool. It's, it's knowing the God who created you. It's knowing him that, that we talked about in our, in our adult Sunday school time today. It's that we're created to be in relational dependence to this God who created us. And when I became a Christian, uh, my, my family thought I joined a cult. My family thought it was crazy. And uh, I could tell God things that I couldn't tell my parents. And God became really close to me and real to me and personal to me. And, and yeah, and so it made sense then when I went to church that I'd see people praying, not having it written down first, and they would just open up and pour their heart out to God. And uh, in my pride, a bit, I have to say probably, in some of my immaturity and some of my pride, I really, really then kind of did a 180, and I really now thought that the people who went to church that read their prefab prayers, I really thought they were the weird ones. And not only were they the weird ones, but I thought, man, there's no nothing spiritual could possibly be happening in those churches that have all their prayers pre-written, right? Because I was angry. I mean, I was in a church that had all the prayers pre-written uh, that told me all the Bible stories, but they never told me what those stories meant to me. Like, I had heard that Jesus had died on the cross. I'd heard that he had rosen, risen again from the dead. 
but I was never told, nobody ever confronted me and said, this is why Jesus died. He died for your sin. He died so that you could be forgiven, that you could be saved. He, he requires all of us to call upon His name to be saved, to be forgiven, to be freed. He's revealed His justice and He's revealed His love. I had never heard that applied to me personally in those churches that just recited these prefab prayers. And so I got pretty angry, to be honest. Pretty judgmental, to be honest, about any of the churches that would use that sort of prefab language in prayer. Um, thankfully, maturity happens, I think, to a degree. Uh, I needed maturity in a lot of areas in my life, and I think that probably was. But, but really, uh, you know what really actually got me to rethink some of this was actually when I lived in Japan. And when I lived in Japan, uh, I, let me tell you a little bit about this church that I visited in Japan, or that I attended for the, my wife and I attended for the three years we were in Japan. The church had, uh, before my wife and I and my daughter was born, the three of us, the church had two people in it. It had this older Christian lady from my town, and it had this elder from another church who lived a couple towns older, over, and he would come and give the service to this other lady. And that was our church for three years. And we would go to this church service. And now the lady, she spoke English. She was in my English class, actually, at the town hall. Um, so we could talk to her before and after the service. But the man who led the service, he spoke hardly a lick of English at all. And so even though more than half of his congregation could not understand a word he was saying, he continued to do the entire liturgy and preach a lo longer than I preach here. He would preach like a 50-minute sermon in Japanese to a congregation that could not understand a word he was saying. In fact, the lady, because we were there, the lady wanted to show Japanese hospitality. So halfway through the message, she would get up, go to the back of the room and start making tea. And my wife and I would literally be sitting there while this guy's talking to us and we could not understand a word he was saying. The only way that we could participate in that church service for those three years was through those prefabricated prayers. And we actually grew to actually be very, very thankful that some of this liturgy had been written down, that some of the prayers of the church had been written down so we could learn a language to pray. So we couldn't understand or participate in anything else that was going on for three years in this church, but we could say the Apostles' Creed in Japanese with our brother and sister. We could pray the Lord's Prayer in Japanese with our brother and sister. And that softened my heart a little bit to realize there is a benefit to prefab prayer. They teach us the language of prayer. That's what they're to do. They're to literally teach us to pray. Not to become ritualistic, but to teach us to do something that many of us, if we're honest, are not very good at, which is talking to God. Some of us, we find it a struggle to talk to God. I remember I was in seminary, and similarly, my professor was talking about 
prayer and praying the Psalms. And I, 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 I was the guy who rose his hand and said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what that means to pray the Psalms. I don't know, I don't know how to pray. And one of my friends in seminary started meeting with me three times a week. We'd get up at 6.30 in the morning and we'd, we'd read a psalm and we'd pray through the psalms together and learning a language to, of prayer. And that, I tell those stories to bring us back all the way back to the beginning of a couple months ago after Christ, after the New Year's, when we started the sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. When the disciples in Luke chapter 11 go up to Jesus and they say to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he teaches them to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer to form us, to guide us, and to give us a language of prayer. But as I close that message today, this series today, I want to uh, one more time just implore myself and you that even when, even as good as, and I've been praying the Lord's Prayer over the last two months, it's the only way I've been praying, basically, learning to pray in that way. But look, it can, you can, it can just be just as rote and just as religious and just as ritualistic and just as just blanket recitation as any other prayer. And so I want to leave today with one last message in this series about how to pray, yes, as Jesus taught us to pray, but where we are adding our amen to what Jesus taught us to pray. You know, the word amen, Jesus sometimes said it when he was teaching. He'd say, verily, verily, in your, in your translation, might say, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you. In the original language, he's saying, amen, amen. It means truly. It's, when we say amen after a prayer, we are saying, Yes, 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 that is what I agree with. That is what I affirm. That is what I embrace. That is what I hold to. Amen. It takes the word amen, takes what is formal, what is ritualistic, what might just be a recitation. When you give your amen to the prayer, you are saying, yes, that is what I, I confess, I agree I embrace. And so today we're finishing our series on the Lord's Prayer, and I'm going to be preaching a text that is not in the margins of your Bible. I'm preaching uh, this last phrase called the doxology that some of your Bibles may find at the, at the second half of Matthew 5.13. Open up, if you brought your Bible with you, I'd like you to open it up to Matthew chapter 5. It'll be interesting. I don't think many of you will actually have these words in the text of your Bible in Matthew chapter 5. Some of you may have them in a margin or in a footnote. Okay, are you looking for them in Matthew chapter 5 verse 13? How many of you have those words 
at the end of the Lord's Prayer. King James Version? New King James Version? New King James Version. So you guys have it in the text of the scripture. How many of you guys don't have it at all and there's no footnote or asterisk or anything? Okay, so a couple of you. And how many of you guys have it as an asterisk or a footnote? Okay, most of you have it in your Bibles as an asterisk and your footnote. This is the doxology to the Lord's Prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. These are the final words that we as a church say together at the ends of the Lord's Prayer. And maybe today, as I told you to actually turn open your Bible and look in your Bible, maybe you're surprised right now. You're going, wait a minute. Why aren't those words in my Bible? We say those every week. Why, why aren't they written in the text of Scripture? Well, I think we, get, we need to be honest and understand first, uh, the doxology, those, those words that we add at the end of the Lord's Prayer are almost certainly not part of the Lord's Prayer as taught by Jesus. Um, there's a reason why it's either in a footnote or omitted from most of your Bibles. Uh, a there's, there's a science to this. It's a science called textual criticism, where, where actually scholars look through all the manuscripts that we have, that we found, the ancient Greek manuscripts, the old one that they find like in, 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 in jars, and they're you know, ripped up or burned or singed or decaying, and they, they open them up, and they look to see you know, what is the text. There's a whole science to because we want to uh, we want to be assured and assured that the words that we have in our Bibles are actually the words that were written. Okay, and, and, and through this we've, we've found, first number one, this doesn't take textual criticism, this just takes you flipping over to the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 11, uh, the, 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 the words of the doxology are just simply not added to the end of the Lord's Prayer. And, and we've never found any manuscript that would say any otherwise. No one disputes that. So the Lord's Prayer in Luke, when, when, when the disciples go to Jesus and ask him to teach them to pray, he finishes after and lead them, uh, out, deliver them from evil. That's where the Lord's Prayer ends. In Luke, no one disputes that. In Matthew, in the book of Matthew, when it comes to Matthew, the, early, the, two, earliest testament, the, the two earliest Greek manuscripts that we have don't have the doxology added to the end of the Lord's Prayer. So the earliest, and probably that's what your footnote says, the earliest manuscripts don't have the words of the Lord's Prayer. The, 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 the doxology. The doxology, these words, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. There was a lot of church fathers in the second and third and fourth centuries who, the Lord's Prayer is pretty much one of the most important things the church has. Okay? It's one of the most important passages of scripture we have as the church. So in the 2nd and 3rd and 4th century, church fathers are writing commentaries on the Lord's Prayer, and they would go verse by verse, just what we've done in the sermon series, go verse and verse, by, petition by petition through the Lord's Prayer, and uh, the two earliest at the end of the 2nd century, Tertullian and Origen, they didn't reference the doxology. Uh, the five other early commentaries they have, none of them reference the doxology. The first reference of the doxology in one of those commentaries is in the 4th century by a man named John Christostom. But all the commentaries we have before, none of them reference the doxology as part of the Lord's Prayer. We do have, uh, in kind of that same time frame, we have some liturgies of the church. From, that same, from the 6th to 8th century, we have some liturgies of the church. And, and they have the doxology, yes. 
But how they use the Lord's Prayer shows them that even then they understood the doxology was not part of the Lord's Prayer. In fact, the whole church together, from liturgies we have from that time, the whole church together would say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, dot, 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 and deliver us our trespasses, and then they would, or, and, and deliver us from evil, and they would stop, and then only the person leading the service would finish with the doxology. The person leading the service would say, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And everybody would say, Amen. So even in the liturgies we have, they, they, there is an understanding. So, that the, you know, I could go on, the doxology is not in the Latin Vulgate. So, so for all of these reasons, most modern translations do not include these words at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Only the King James Version and the New King James Version. And I think the New American Standard Version for some reason, although it's in brackets. But the King James Version includes it because in uh, 1511, when the King James Version was being, was it 15 or 1611? 1611. Those were the manuscripts they had. But by that time, Somehow the doxology had been inserted into the Greek manuscript traditions. And so the reformers at that time, the manuscripts they had, had it in. And that's why it's been included into the King James Version. But that was probably an inclusion. And nobody understands how these words got in there. Most likely scenario is that the church always, whenever the Lord's Prayer was said, I'm sorry we're getting a little technical here today. It's because uh, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit, but Probably whenever the Lord's Prayer was said and we prayed it together, the church always said, yes, 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 amen, amen. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever, amen. And the church always added its amen to what the, how the Lord had taught them to pray. So the Lord had taught them the, 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 what to pray and the church then said, amen. And they did that and over the years, the church kind of standardized how it said it's amen. And so every time you would meet together as a church, you would say the Lord's Prayer, and then you'd say the amen, amen, amen. And so probably what is the most likely scenario of what happened is some scribe was copying the Bible because he copied it by hand, and he gets to the Lord's Prayer, and he's writing down the Lord's Prayer, and he's just going, oh, I know this one by memory. I say it three times a day, and I say it every week at church. So he's just writing it from memory, and he writes it and writes it and writes it, and he writes the Amen. Right? And so now it's in the Bible. And then somebody copies his copy, and it stays. And then somebody copies his copy, and you have a whole family of copies that that happens. And that's likely, we don't know exactly how, but that's probably what happened. It was probably part of the church's prayer life, and that's how it got into the Bible. Now, I'm telling you this not because um, I want to discourage you or confuse you about the words of the Bible. I'm telling you this because... Number one, it's important for you to understand as Christians that we take the words of this book very, very seriously. There's a charge out there about our book that it's gone through changes and revisions and additions and subtractions, and you cannot trust what you held in your hands today to be that which the apostles written. I will tell you that Christians are very very honest and careful about the science of what we hold in our hand being faithful to what they wrote. We are very honest to say sometimes there are difficulties because of the manuscripts we have. We have far more great, far more manuscripts in number than any other text in, ancient, in antiquity. 
We have far more a breadth of the regions in which we find these manuscripts, so we're able to compare them. And so we have far more confidence that the words that we hold in our hand are the words of the apostles written. But I'm telling you this because Christians are honest to say, yes, there are some passages where we say, I don't know how that got in there. Some meaning three disputed passages, four, not many. All right, so we just have to be honest with this. But we Christians believe it is important to make sure we get it right. So yeah, it's most likely the doxology was not how Jesus ended the Lord's Prayer when he taught us to pray. But for those of you who are worried about that, you can still pray it, right? Like the doxology is still biblical, okay? I mean, for thine is the kingdom, power, and glory. It's not just that it, it sounds good. It's also literally words from the Bible, so, so, so feel confident that you can pray the doxology. Even though the doxology is certainly not part of the Lord's Prayer, you should understand that when and if we pray the doxology, we, what we are affirming is biblical and therefore a good thing to pray. And if you need a text, uh, 1 Chronicles 29.10. 1 Chronicles 29.10, David has come back. They have taken a giant offering to build the temple in Jerusalem. David didn't actually build the temple, but he laid, the, he laid all the foundations, the plans, and he, he got it all ready. And so they all put a big offering and for how they're going to build the temple when Solomon, his son, builds it. And David explodes and erupts in praise on that day. And so David uh, gathers the assembly. He blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. So when we add that at the end of the Lord's Prayer, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, O Lord. In our amen, what we are affirming, if you, if, you, if you feel in your conscience, oh, is this biblical prayer? It is a biblical prayer, okay? And not only are the words biblical, but the concepts, when we say yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, they're taken and lifted right from the, the text of the Lord's Prayer itself, right? We pray, we pray yours is the kingdom, amen. We're saying amen, God, Yours is the kingdom because Jesus has already taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so at the end of the Lord's Prayer, we erupt and we say, yes, amen, God, yours is the kingdom. Right? Jesus taught us to pray. Give us today our daily breads. Forgive us our, tresp- or our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Lead us not a temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we, we erupt in praise and we say, amen, yours is the strength. Yours is the power, right? You have the power to meet our daily needs. You have the power to lead us not into temptation. You have the power to deliver us from evil. You have the power to forgive and through us to forgive others, right? You have the power, amen. And we pray, yours is the glory. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? We talked about hallowed, to set apart as holy, to see God's, the weight of God's glory. And so Jesus has taught us to pray 
Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory as he has taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. And so I, I only really have one main point today in this. The doxology, when we pray, yours is the kingdom, power, and glory. This is the church's affirmation and answer, agreement, and amen to what Jesus has taught us to pray. In the Shorter Catechism, Luther's Shorter Catechism, he says, he talks about the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever, amen. What does this mean? And his catechism says, this means I should be certain that these petitions are pleasing to our Father in heaven, are heard by him, and for he himself has commanded to pray in this way and has promised to hear us. Amen, amen means yes, yes, shall it be so. In his other book that I, I gave you, The Simple Way to Pray, Luther writes, mark this, that you must always speak the amen firmly. Never doubt that God in his mercy will surely hear you and say yes to your prayers. Never think that you are kneeling or standing alone. Rather, think that the whole of Christendom, all devout Christians are standing there beside you and you are standing among them in a common, unified petition which God cannot disdain. Do not leave your prayer without having said or thought, very well, God has heard my prayer. This I know as a certainty and truth. That is what the amen means. And so through this doxology, and it's a shame, possibly, possibly, it's a shame that even the doxology has become for some of us just part of that rote recitation. It should not. It need not be, and it should not be. When you are praying the Lord's Prayer or any other prayer of Scripture, it is our adding, it is the addition of our amen to that which God has revealed. It is our confident agreement to the words that Christ has taught us to pray for us at the end to erupt in praise and worship and affirmation. Yes, 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 thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's how you participate in the Lord's Prayer. It's how the church has always affirmed that we participate in the words and in the prayer of Christ. What this means then is as you pray the Lord's Prayer, as we come together and pray the Lord's Prayer together as a church, it has, there's a challenge here. And I'm looking out at us. There's a challenge for each one of us here. When you come to church, it is not you being here that makes you a Christian. It is not you being here. It's not you saying the words of a prayer that makes it a prayer. It is your embrace of. It is your approval of. It is your acceptance of. It is your affirmation of. It is your confession of faith. That these words that Jesus taught us to pray are the words that you, from your heart, are praying as a child of God. So, so before we pray, at the end of this service, before we pray, thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, thine and the glory, let me ask you three questions. First, is God your king? Is God your king? To pray, to hear the words of the Lord prayer, 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then for, to, to, to pray that, yes, Jesus, thine is your kingdom. Is to step down from the throne of your life. Is to acknowledge his lordship. His lordship over you in creation. His lordship over you in redemption. Is to say, yes, Jesus, my life is not my own. I've been crucified with Christ and therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives within me and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To pray, thine is the kingdom, is to say, Jesus, yes, I take up my cross, I deny myself, take up my cross and follow you because you are my king. The greatest theme of Jesus' teaching Billy Graham just passed away this last week, right? He's known as one of the greatest preachers ever. What he is known for in his preaching is the simplicity of the message that he taught. And I would say he modeled the simplicity of his message after Jesus. Jesus had a very simple theme. The kingdom of heaven is set in front of you. Strive to enter in. There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of heaven. There's the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of hell. The kingdom of God, kingdom of Satan. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of hell. There's two roads. There's the broad road that many are on that leads to destruction. There's the narrow road that leads to life. Enter by the narrow gate. Everyone in here, every single human being right now in here who is taking a breath, you are a member of one of two kingdoms. There is no middle ground. You are either a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, eagerly awaiting a savior from there. When you come, you will meet him, you will see him, you will be welcomed by him, and you will live forever with him in eternity. Or... You are a citizen of the kingdom of hell, a father, a child of your father, the devil, as Jesus proclaimed. When you come, when Jesus returns, you will not enter into his kingdom, but you will go to hell. I know it is a very hard word for Canadians to hear, but this is not my word and it is not Billy Graham's word. It is Jesus Christ's major teaching of his life. Yes, he taught us, Love God, love your neighbor. He did, because that's what all the law and the prophets testified. But as he came himself, the embodiment of God's law and the embodiment of God's love, he came proclaiming to all, enter into God's kingdom. Do not stand outside. Do not be left out. We enter the kingdom by receiving the king. And I would appeal to you that this is not a game. That heaven and hell weigh in the balance. It is not popular today in Canada to speak of hell. I don't like doing it. But it is a reality that every single one of us who takes breath now will someday stop taking breath. And that God has made it very clear to us how are we to respond to his son that we might live 
together with him forever. I was reading one of Billy Graham's sermons last night. It was called Tolerance or Intolerance. And he said, you hear that message that there's one way, one road, one Savior, one Jesus, and you say, well, that sounds very intolerant. And he said, yes. He says, but there are many things in your life that are intolerant. He said, I love this, he said, math is intolerant. Two plus two equals, it's intolerant. There's no other answer. He says, gravity, he said, gravity is intolerant. There is no other way but toward the center of the greatest mass. He said, I don't know where we get this idea that all roads lead to heaven. If you ask me how to get to Toronto, you cannot drive west. No, you cannot drive east to get there. <laughs> Sorry, Canadian geography it is not my strong suit. You can't drive east to get to Toronto. I'm not being intolerant to tell you that. You cannot remain on the broad road that leads to destruction and imagine that you'll enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and the reason we tell you this is not to heap condemnation upon you. Jesus himself said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. The, the world already was on that road. I came into the world to proclaim, here is the entrance I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. And if you're here today and you do not yet know your eternal destiny, today, when we pray, yours is the kingdom, understand that that is the confession of faith. Yours is the kingdom. I am not the king of my life anymore, Jesus. You are my king. Yours is the kingdom. And you say, I don't know how I can do this. I don't know if I can live the Christian life. I don't know if I have the strength to live the Christian life. I've, I, I've maybe tried the Christian life. I haven't tasted God yet, but I've tried the Christian life. And I will say the second, the second confession is yours is the power. Jesus has the power to save. Jesus has the power to give new life. Jesus has the power to make you born again into a new life. Jesus has the power, the divine power, to grant you everything pertaining to life and to godliness. And you say, I can't do it. I don't know if I can be a Christian. It's not about your strength. It's not about your power. It's not about your works. It's not about your activities. It's about Jesus Christ in you giving you the power to do so. Yours is the power, O oh God. One pastor told the story of a father who goes out to his son, and his son is trying to lift a big boulder. And the father says, son, have you accessed everything in you to attempt to lift that boulder? Have you, have you, have you, have you, have you used all of your resources? Have you used all of your resources to lift that boulder? And his son says, yes, dad. Yes, dad, I have. I've tried and I tried and I can't lift it. And the father says again to him, have you used every resource available for you to lift that boulder? And his son says, yes, dad, I'm telling you, I've used all my strength, all my strength. And his father says again to him, have you used every resource available to you to move that boulder? And the son says, what are you telling me, dad? He says, you haven't asked me yet. Christian life is not about the power you have to lift the boulder of your sin. 
It's about the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. There's a power in the gospel. Thine is the power. You say, I don't have the power to resist temptation. It's not your power. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. You say, I don't have the power to forgive. God says, I've already forgiven you if you've come to be my child. I've I've given you that grace, and now you have the grace to forgive others. You say, I don't have the power to meet my daily need for this circumstance. He says, it's not about you. You pray, give us today our daily bread. And you affirm at the end, amen, yours is the power. I don't know what circumstance you're going through. I don't know what trial he will bring you through. It's not about your strength. It's about your God. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And finally, are you living for God's glory? When it's all said and done, whose name is on the matinee of your life? What I mean is, you know, you, the Oscars are this weekend, right? All those movie posters, they put somebody's name on it. In your life, whose name is on your matinee? We, we think of the word glory as uh, the Jap- Japanese have this word, pika pika. <laughs> like the shining brightness. We think that's what glory is. Glory is not, in the Greek, glory is not about the brightness, although there, there may be some semantic overlap. It's about the weight. It's about the weight of the significance of the importance of the person, the doxa. In English, and I learned this from R.C. Sproul, uh, he's a great pastor. He also passed away not, not only two months ago. And he has a great number of great messages on the glory of God. And one of the things he said was, um, you know, in English, we, we, we say, we say, like, he's a lightweight, or we make light of someone, or we make light of some, some circumstance. And he says, that is the exact opposite of what we're talking about when we're talking about glory. When we're talking about glory, we're saying we make heavy of something. <laughs> we, make, we recognize the significance, the importance of this thing or this being. Let me ask you, are you living for your, that your own significance, weight, importance would increase? Or are you living that in your life people may see that the weight of the glory of God in Christ is being lifted up and put on the poster of your life? That, that your life is being lived for, for his name, and that's what we confess when we pray. We've already prayed, hallowed be thy name, and now at the end we affirm, yes, yes, to God, yours is the glory. He does not share his glory with us. In Isaiah 42, verse 8, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I give my glory to no other. Now, now we as human beings were made in the image of God. We can reflect his glory, but we cannot usurp his glory. But so many of us in our work, in our school, in our search for popularity, in our search for possessions, in our search for our career, even in the good things we seek to make a name. We might say we're making a name for God, but we're, we're seeking to make a name for ourselves. We had that Work is Worship conference this, a week ago, and uh, the creator of Veggie Tales uh, gave his testimony. I never heard his testimony before. 
But he talked about he was a, he was a Bible school dropout. And somehow he liked, liked drawing and he made this weird tomato and this weird cucumber. And it became like this worldwide empire of a talking tomato and a talking cucumber. And he was like, God, yeah, this is great. You're giving me such a platform. And, and what happened, he told the story of how it had become an idol and he had realized it was more about the, his name, about what he was doing, rather than the glory of God and how God stripped him of it. And as he's learning now God, how God is rebuilding in him a, a new sense of that when it's all said and done, whose name is on the billboard? Is it me or is it Christ? Hundred times, one hundred times in ninety minutes. One hundred times in ninety minutes. Is the number of times in ninety minutes the name of Jesus was proclaimed at Billy Graham's funeral on Friday? That is by the design of a life lived not for your name on the marquee, but for the name of Christ. Is God your king? Is God your strength? And are you living for God's glory? That is, that is, that is what takes the words of the Lord's Prayer that he taught us. That's what makes the words jump out of your Bible, jump off of the sheet of paper. It is how we as the church give our amen to what Christ has taught us. Let's pray. Amen. Amen. that's our prayer as we respond not only to this message but to all Jesus has taught us is how to pray thank you God for teaching us to pray I pray you continue to use this in our life to teach us to pray I pray that when we come to not only the Lord's prayer but maybe we come to the Psalms or other prayers in your word we read the words on our paper and I pray you give us the faith to have that confession leap out of us. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory, O Lord, forever and ever. Amen. I pray for those in here right now. Holy Spirit, may you convict their hearts. If there are people in here, in the sound of my voice, who know right now they are not living as citizens of your kingdom, and if they were to die right now, they would, in fact, go to hell. I pray, Lord Jesus, that right now you give them faith to repent, to turn from their sins, and to acknowledge you as their king and as their savior. Lord, I pray right now for those of us who are weak in our faith, for those of us who are weak in the trials and temptations of the world, I pray right now, God, you give them the strength, you give them the faith to acknowledge that the strength that they need is not from themselves and will not be found in themselves, but will only be found in you, in your Holy Spirit that you've freely poured into their lives. And I pray, God, for each one of us, that we may soberly examine our life, how and the things that we are living for. 
And that our name, we would fade into the background and you would be preeminent. As John the Baptist said, you, he must increase and I must decrease. Lord, I don't know how your Holy Spirit will be speaking to each one of us today, but I pray your Holy Spirit will continue to impress the words uh, of, of this message and the word of Jesus' prayer upon us as we go through uh, today and this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.